Fabrizio Romano with huge breaking news brought to you right now through the airwaves. Another banger tweet of a huge announcement announcing the return of the Peaked Too Early podcast. Season 2, episode 23, alongside other big news coming out in the last hour. Uh, I am Blake Munchell. I'm joined by Oscar Saywell. Oscar, how are you? Hello. Wow, what a... What's a uh, banger of an intro there? Um, I am doing fine. Um, I my spring break is coming to a close, Blake. So I'm returning to work. Um, I got the you know the weather to match it today. Um, nice rainy sort of Sunday slash Monday, I guess blues. Um, but I'm excited to talk about football with you after what a two week break, something like that. Anyway, I was in Rhode Island. That's why completely forgot about that. Um, could not record up in Providence, but um, yeah, now we're back. Yes, the funny thing is, last time I was in Rhode Island, I brought my yeah, podcasting stuff with me you and did. recorded with you. I was staying in a house built in 1763 with lots of other people in it, so I'm gonna... I'm going to cut myself some slack. I think uh, I think it was for the best that I didn't attempt to record in Providence, Rhode Island. But all well, you. yeah, we needed a break after the absolute powerhouse of a last episode we did. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. And since then, it's been pretty good for uh, for me in Newcastle. Uh, I do have it to has say, indeed. Yeah, finally you got a bit of a bounce back, which you definitely needed. Um, Two wins on the bounce there, I think, right? Um, Correct. And and firmly away from the relegation zone now, uh, while others have been sucked more firmly into it, I think we can say. Lots of things have happened, Blake. Oh my goodness, I don't even know where to start. Um, why? You know what? I'm going to suggest, do you mind will we, we start this pod off by talking about Sean Dyche? I feel like that's the really big news that we should probably touch on immediately. Yes, uh, yeah. as much as it breaks my heart, um, it is the end of the Dyche era. Quite significant. In the Midlands. Very significant. Oh, not um, the Midlands, and, further than that, but go ahead. Well, the middle of England's. No, further north um, than that. Way further north. Well, we've talked about uh, where people think the north is. Um, Okay. Newcastle yeah. supporters True, think coming the from North Newcastle starts from. and ends right. at Newcastle. So, well, uh, it is firmly in Lancashire, Burnley. So, um, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, as you said, the end of the Dyche era, and he was the longest-serving Premier League manager. That's now been taken by Jurgen Klopp. Um, and it was a, it was shock news, wasn't it, on on Friday when when that news broke? Yeah. Absolutely. What a strange time to I know. announce the sacking of a manager. I feel like if you leave it this late, you might as well just stick with it until the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, so I, I mean, I think that my, I reckon that there must have been a fight behind the scenes. I think Sean Dyche is the type of person to, to do that. This might sound harsh, but, you know, these new owners that have come in have really jeopardized the club put them in a very tenuous position they came in and used this intricate financial loophole to essentially use the club's existing finances to take it over and now they are in debt because they bought the club um and and obviously they're sort of languishing in 18th place um still very much 
there's still very much hope for survival, but um, you know, it's been a really poor 2022 for Burnley. You would have thought that really the only person who could get Burnley out of it would be Sean Dyche. Um, so I reckon that there might have been a falling out there, and that what that is what prompted the the sudden sacking or parting of ways on Friday, two games before a, a big match against a a tired West Ham United. Um, you know, I I don't really understand why they did it then. Um, but I don't know. Do you do you have any thoughts on on the motivation behind sacking him, Blake? Well, I'll start with uh, maybe another factor that makes the sacking even more confusing mm. is supposedly now they have to pay him a mm-hmm. £15 million severance. Yeah, huge. Uh, yeah, which is strange considering their financial situation. But um, to sack your manager with, uh, what, seven matches remaining for Burnley, um, it... Right now, it looks like Burnley and Everton it's going to come down to for the final relegation spot. And if you look at the differences between Burnley and Everton before, what, Sunday when it was announced? Or sorry, Friday Friday. when it was announced. um, The one big difference between, or the one big advantage Burnley had over Everton was a stable and consistent manager. Sure. Um, so now, without Dyche, I'm kind of confused at what the outlook for the rest of the season is supposed to be, um, right. especially considering there's no uh, no uh, backup in place. Um, ben Mee yeah. took over part of the match yeah. preparation for the West, Ma- West Ham match. Um, but yeah, I think kind of all signs point towards some sort of explosion. Yeah, um, behind the scenes. I think the behind the scenes. I I think that it's possible that the club decided to twist uh with Daesh if they knew he was going to not be there next season anyway, right? So if if they knew if they both if both parties knew that that he would not be continuing with the football club next season, regardless of whether they were in the Premier League or in the Championship, then I guess removing him now in sort of like a last-ditch attempt to create some sort of spark with a new manager coming in uh, might make sense. But I agree with you totally. I think that the the timing of it is a big red flag, and the fact that they had no backup plan is is a big red flag. So looks like a, yet another poor decision from the new owners. Um, And, you know, I Um, think like, sorry, go ahead. I will say I do. I do understand what you just said. um, Mm -hmm. And I agree with it that um, if they knew they were already going to be separating from Sean Dyche this way, you have a good handful of matches where you can get someone in, you can give them a few matches at the head see uh, like get them some momentum going into next season if you're already uh like resigned to relegation like if you're like there's no way everton are going down instead of us you know we might as well get the new guy in now and give him a few you know just to taste a little bit more experience um so that he's not coming in you know super fresh in the summer 
No, I agree. And I, I mean, I mean, yeah, I think I've I've been thinking a bit about what his legacy is in the Premier League, and I think it's a a really big one. I do not, I do not envision him having trouble finding a new job. Or rather, I don't think he should have trouble finding a new job. I, I've been vocal about not liking his persona at all, and I've also been vocal about my desire to see Burnley get relegated, but. That does not take away from how amazing he is as a coach. I mean, truly, this is a man that so, sort of belying his media persona is incredibly innovative and and has done wonders with a a team in an unappealing part of the country, right? Where where we've talked about it before. This is no London. Like players from abroad are not attracted by the glamour of Burnley. Um, and he's done it on a shoestring budget. Let, let Europe a few seasons ago, um, which is like an astonishing uh, achievement, really. Um, I heard Jonathan Wilson, who's a uh, well-known journalist who works for The Guardian and other outlets, say that he thinks that uh, Deitch getting Burnley into Europe is like this second most impressive thing to happen in recent English football memory other than Leicester winning the league which I don't know perhaps is hyperbolic but I think does put into perspective how how great of a job um, that was and I don't know my, my question I'll pitch to you is what do you think his next move is um, I'm not sure maybe he should have left earlier a couple of seasons ago I guess pre-pandemic he was definitely being linked with it with an Everton job when they were a bit more stable or or you know another uh, sort of middling Premier League team, but what do you think his next move is, Blake? Well, I actually do think Everton, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, if they don't stick with Lampard, would be uh, if they survive in the Prem. Yeah, right. I think that'd be a really smart appointment. Yeah, um, and certainly, you know, unlike anything Everton have tried um, in the last few seasons um talking about uh most impressive uh feats in recent memory am i crazy or didn't watford finish like eighth one season mm. in like 2013 i can't remember um, i can't remember but i mean this, the right. thing is, like, I, yeah, yeah. Watford have the Pozos. Like, they have, they are backed by a very wealthy family. And they have had, you know, good coaches, good, good players in the past. And I think we, we can't really overstate how small, quote unquote, small of a club Burnley is, right? It's a very small stadium, tiny budget. I mean, it really is like punching above, uh, you know, your weight. Um, with Burnley over the past few years. So I guess um, we got to salute the job that Sean Dyche has done. And, and I, I think this will likely doom Burnley to, to relegation now. Yeah, um, I've voiced my support for Sean Dyche on this podcast before. Um, when we talked about like best managers in the Premier League, um, I brought up Sean Dyche because I think it's much more impressive to you know, keep a squad full of awful players in the Premier League rather than battle for top four with a uh, 450 million pound squad. Um, like, I think it takes a much better manager. 
Speaking of potential locations for Sean Dyche, um, I think the most obvious choices are uh, Stoke, like just based on who Sean Dyche is and the stereotypes around the clubs. Um, I think Stoke is like the perfect partnership. Um, And then for an actually good fit, um, because I think they'll have a job opening in the summer, I think Watford, I think Sean Dyche will be uh, an excellent choice to try to bring them back up uh, for when they're inevitably relegated. Um, But yes, I agree. I think this does conclude the relegation story for this season. Although, I will add an interesting fold that Burnley's end-of-season run is very favorable. Um, They have Southampton at home, Wolves at home, Watford, who they are above, away, Villa at home, Spurs away, which, you know, they'll probably lose. Villa again away, and then Newcastle at home to end the season. Yeah, Um, it is a favorable run. Much more so than Everton's. Right. Um, Yeah. So I'm not saying it can happen, but... Yeah, well, no, I mean, I think it it definitely can happen. Uh, I think they're very much still in it. And if they make a smart appointment next, or maybe even just stick with this current sort of hodgepodge of coaching stuff and Ben Me, then then I'm sure they can do it. Um, they've es- they you know they've escaped before, but that is a solid amount of time that we have spent on Burnley Football Club, Blake. So um, where shall we go next? Well, we have quite a few things to discuss. Um, but I think uh, a good talking point is the uh, North London in South England uh, horrible two past match days uh, mm. and the North London bottle jobs uh, sure. that we seem to not be able to talk about not be able to stop talking about yeah no um, yeah i think since so since we've last spoken okay so l- last saturday april 9th we did have to be fair tottenham smashing villa 4-0 um with with arsenal on the same day losing 2-1 to brighton but um this most recent match day uh brighton again beat tottenham and arsenal fell to a 1-0 loss at uh, Southampton. And that means that they both drop points in the in the race for the top four. Uh, with Arsenal with still a, a game in hand. If they, if they win that, then they are just behind Tottenham. Um, I think there's one, one point goal difference or so. Oh no, way more than that. I apologize. Uh, that would, they're 10, 10 goals behind in the goal difference charts. Um, so Tottenham, I suppose still in the driving seat, but you know, all of a sudden Manchester United are firmly back in the fold. I mean, they're on 54 points as well. So um, yeah, I I guess we can talk more broadly about this idea of, you know, bottle, bottling, bottling things, bottle culture. Um, What are your thoughts on, on this most recent match day and the disaster for the North London clubs, Blake? 
Arsenal, because um, they start with an A, and I'll go af- alphabetically. Sure. Um, this right there was one point in the season where we were talking about how good Arsenal were and how we all misjudged Mikel Arteta, and mm. you know it seemed obvious that they were going to finish fourth. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, all of a sudden we're back to talking about them bottling it and how they're in a bad mm. run of form. And it really does make you think, like, is there some sort of curse um, yeah. on the club? Like, nothing good can stay. Um, and, uh, you know, like the whole bottling DNA. Um, because it kind of does feel that way right now. Um, although I think still, you know, this is like a short-term thing. I think Arsenal's future is still incredibly bright very bright um, yeah and uh you know they have like the average age of that squad is you know it's absolutely bonkers um and so you know there might be some pain this season um and you know i think sixth or seventh is a very fair finish for them considering how hot and cold they've been um but, but yeah i think you know there are certain things that are guaranteed in this world. Life, death, hmm. and Arsenal bottling it. Sure. Um, it's like, lads, it's Arsenal. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the same can be said for Tottenham. I mean, exactly. I think I'm, I'm very interested about how teams cultivate this reputation, right? F- for being bottler teams. And, and Tottenham and Arsenal are, are the two... Um, you know, they firmly come to mind when you mention bottling something. And I think it might be a product, I don't know if you agree, with, with on, of the social media age. Because, I mean, does it only exist because people want it to, right? Does it only exist because people have created this narrative online and latched onto it online and made jokes about it online and everyone is aware of it, right? And And if that's the case, how... Will it ever go away? Like, can they ever shed this? Whatever they do, can they shed it? And how much does it affect the players? Are the other players thinking about this, you know, this legacy that the post-2008 Arsenal side have of, of just dropping the ball at crucial moments? Um, and I suppose the same can be said for Tottenham, although I suppose, you know, t- t- the 2010s have been their most successful era in in the modern age at least i suppose since the 80s and maybe early 90s um you know how far does that that power of of pr go can can these new social media pr teams reverse that narrative and and who else can it rope in right i i think that manchester united are rapidly falling into this the same bracket um can they recover from global ridicule when things just keep going wrong? And whose fault is it, right? Where does it start? Does it start because of bad decisions coming from the top that permeate throughout the, the club and the side? Or, or does it w- start from, from a, a, maybe a, a run of bad luck a decade ago that then got picked up by Twitter users and, and just the, you know, the, the general football fandom population and and then it can never let go um it's a it's a fascinating concept i think yeah um i'll start with i think 
it is drastically underestimated the mental like the the impact that mental strength has on football yeah yeah um you know i think i do think that uh some teams the the criticism they get impact them incredibly and also the success they can't handle it um and i you know i think they largely the the most of the media doesn't consider um you know mental fortitude when they talk about good teams um like city and liverpool are good teams every year because not only are they physically the best but they are also mentally the strongest teams in the premier league um so that's one half of it and so i think a large part of why arsenal are like this specific arsenal squad is currently struggling struggling is just because you know they're young players and they don't have this you drilling into their heads and you know Mikel arteta you know i jury's still out i guess on what level of manager he is but you know he's no guardiola who's where he's no Klopp, who's like drilling these players that they need to be the greatest they can be um he's certainly not you know as ruthless as a guardiola um the other thing is uh thinking about like loser mentalities um which i would say Mm -hmm describes how Manchester United have been for the last 10 years. Um, It's no matter what happens, there's always an excuse for why they're not the best side, Um, which is why, you know, players had excellent seasons under Ole because he was a scapegoat. um, And so he could take a lot of the criticism, you know, a lot of management, right? Yeah. Right. So players do well, all the criticism falls on Ole. And, you know, the side ends up being decent. They finished third under Ole, didn't they? Very um, decent. W- yeah. Yeah, which is an incredible achievement. Um so I think there's two things. One, uh this you bottling gets driven by two things. One, losers mentality. Um, which we could talk about Newcastle. Um when we talk about losers mentality, because Jamal Lascelles had a great interview about uh, mentality and the importance it has on a team. Uh, loser mentality and uh, naivete. Yeah. Agreed. I think that's very well put. Um, and, and yeah, you know, I suppose on, on the, on the positive side for the rest of us, this does set up a, a nice finish to, the season with a, a, I think we can call it a proper top four race, right? There are three teams in it. Um, I suppose that at this point, West Ham are, are outside that race and now battling for top six instead. Um, but yeah, we'll see I'll be in, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I know things can change. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm not sure who, who I'm going to pick. Um, I suppose I'll still stick with Spurs. And I suppose I should go on record saying that um, I got to eat my words of 
what I, I guess about a month ago now where I said I think I said that it's a sackable offence if uh, if uh, Arsenal don't get to the top four for Arteta um, I got to walk back on that one that was far too hyperbolic um, because uh, you know because of the profile of his of his team essentially um, but yeah I'm looking forward to it where should we go next um, shall we go to the other side of the table do you want to talk about Newcastle maybe a couple of uh, eye-catching results here and there your pick Blake um, I think first I did we talk about Norwich Burnley no we should do it so I mean not too much in depth but just the like huge effect this had on the match uh, or on the table. Um, so Norwich winning 2-0 versus Burnley. Um, it was a home match for Norwich, which I think is pretty important. Um, but I think this match might be what consigned Burnley to relegation because if Burnley had won that match, they would be above Everton right now. Um, and I think, you know, likely then Dyche, you know, who knows what happened and why he got sacked, but, you know, maybe that changes things. And I don't think Everton are mentally strong enough to escape the relegation zone. I think once, if they ever go into it, I don't think they're getting out of it. Um, I don't think a single player in that Everton side is, uh, you know, tough enough to, uh, turn that around. Um, right. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. You know, Norwich is dead on doorknob. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Talk to me about Newcastle, you know. I think I, I would like to hear about your changes in fortunes um, since we last spoke because uh, the last pod, it was a little bit dire, but now. Yeah. Um, you know, not dire per se. Um, more like touching ground, back to reality a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, you're right. It was, you know... Three straight losses is bad. But when you look at the losses, 1-0 away to Chelsea, um, you know, in a vacuum, that's not a bad result. And based on the way Newcastle played, Newcastle mopped the floor with Chelsea. Um, and it was unfortunate that Newcastle didn't win, um, or at least draw. Everton, you know, Everton were awful. So were Newcastle, but Everton nicked the Winner at the end. Um, Spurs killed Newcastle. Um, but all in all, they were all three matches away. It was the fourth away match in a row. It was the seventh away match in eight games. Uh, it was four matches, or sorry, three matches in four days. Um, so, you know, all in all, you know, three losses are three losses, but it's not the end of the world. 
Newcastle returned to home. Newcastle have only been defeated at St. James's Park once under Eddie Howe, and that was to Manchester City. Uh, the Wolves came to St. James's Park. Uh, it was kind of a drab match, not a ton happened, uh, but it was a very comfortable win for Newcastle. Um, I think Newcastle play a lot better at home, of course, my sides do. Um, but I think especially the atmosphere at St. James's Park really pushes players to give that a little bit more. Um, and uh, also this match should have been 2-0. Um, Bruno Guimaraes was like one inch offsides um, and VAR overturned the goal, but whatever. Um, and then uh, another home match, uh, which is you know very nice for Newcastle. Um, Leicester City, who have absolutely harassed Newcastle over the last few years. Mm. Um, just a side that seemed to always dominate us. Probably the worst match I ever watched was the Leicester City 5, uh, Newcastle 1 um, under Steve Bruce. That was just the worst match I've ever seen. But this was a 2-1 yeah. win where uh, Bruno Guimaraes was... He's simply too good for Newcastle. It's not <laughs> fair. Um, well, just not for the new Newcastle, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, this is a club where... You know, Jacob Murphy gets regular playtime. Um, and up until he was unregistered, Kieran Clark was, you know, starting every single week under Steve Bruce. Um, and Jamal Lascelles and, you know, these players that joined Newcastle six or seven years ago um, and are still getting game time. Um, but he would uh, both equalize and score the winner for Newcastle. Um, the first Bruno Guimaraes goal, for some reason, was given as a foul on Casper Schmeichel originally. Um, awful decision by the referee. Um, you know, I, it's like that overprotection of goalkeepers um, where, you know, not, not every time a player touches the goalkeeper is a foul. Um, and VAR, you know, correctly overcalled this. Um, and then, holy shit, you know. The 94th minute game winner, 95th minute right. game winner by Bruno. Um, and I think the most impressive thing about this goal is Bruno's position after Joe Willick skins Yuri Tielemans. Mm. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes is flat footed in our own half uh, mm. at the time that Willick beats Yuri Tielemans. Um, and manages to get into the box and score the the game winning header. Um, the scenes were, you know, of course, you know, blew the roof off yeah. the place. Um, uh, Bruno Guimaraes in tears. Um, he said in his post match interview that he wants to be a legend for Newcastle and he wants to make I over a hundred. He wants to make. 100 home starts, um, you know, which yeah, is cool for a player who, you know, he had to really wait his time to get a start. Um, but yeah, Newcastle are now 12 points clear with only 18 points remaining. 
They are 14th in the table. They are, what is that? Um, they are three points off ninth place, um, which, you know, I, nosebleeds, you know, for I know. <laughs> where we where we were at the beginning of the season. Sure. Um, you know, the only club in Premier League history to go the first 15 matches of the season without winning a game. Uh, the only side to not be relegated, and it looks like we're going to, you know, well clear that. Um, so, right. you know, it's genuinely the best time to be a Newcastle supporter right now, um, and uh, I'm having yeah. a lot of fun with it. So it's very nice. Yeah, well, uh, remain happy for you as much as I can. Um, you know, I think I, I'm just thinking about the energy that that players must der- must derive from. Scoring a bullet header in the ninety-something minute at St. James's oh, yeah. Park is being incredible. The other thing is that is Bruno Guimaraes's first headed goal headed of his goal? career. Oh, awesome! What a header it was too. Yeah. Um, no, I mean this this guy is a great player, and I think that if I mean it, I was interested to see. I think maybe last week that um, Eddie Howe was really talking a lot about next season and specifically about recruitment for next season and he was like look uh don't expect miracles or a complete overhaul of the squad because we are restricted by ffp we are restricted by the laws you know we we will not be able to create a superstar team um and i think that those are good noises to put out really and um I think that if you can, however, build a team around Bruno Guimaraes, then uh, then then you're doing a good thing for sure. Um, I think he he can solidly be the the superstar midfielder um, or superstar player rather moving forward. Yeah, um, he um, also has three goals in five uh, starts. So uh, yeah, no, good for him. Pretty incredible. Um, all right, you talked about Newcastle. Let me touch briefly on West Ham. Uh, not the most exciting match day for us in the Premier League over the weekend. We had a, a 1-1 draw to Burnley. So check getting on the score sheet. Um, you know, I think really overshadowed by this incredible performance we had in Lyon uh, the Thursday before where we, we really put put Lyon to the sword um, and and the whole i don't want to say the whole world stood up and took notice but certainly people who pay attention to the premier league uh, did um because west ham now have a firm and solid uh favorite to to go far in in the europe league we've already done so i suppose i i don't want to jinx it i'm knocking wood as we speak but perhaps a, a favorite right now to to reach the final, um, although we play a, we play a very solid and tricky team in Eintracht Frankfurt in the semis, um, and I know this is a Premier League pod, but I guess I just want to reflect um, once again on on our Europa League odyssey, which has been um, which has been the journey of a lifetime for for our fans, and um, you know the fact that that people are finally starting to pay attention. Uh, and to and respect the squad is really gratifying. I, I I like that a lot, and especially with Declan Rice. I mean, I know I mention him every single pod, but it's it's really nice to finally hear everyone talk about 
how well class Declan Rice is. Um, because West Ham fans were ridiculed for bigging him up, uh, you know, earlier in his career. And, um, you know, I think he, he really just symbolizes our team right now, the effort and the skill that we have on display. And, you know, you mentioned that it's there's no better time to be a Newcastle fan right now. And, and you know, I'll say once again that I feel the same. Um, I'm not sure what the hell I'll do if we manage to reach a European final. It's, lose my head completely i think i that will be the i'll have to watch the game and it will be the worst experience of my life most likely (laughs) because i'll care so much but um you know i i'm looking forward to to seeing what west ham can achieve in these last few matches of the season and i hope we end in a solid run um and and yeah once again thank you west ham great season yeah um you know, I think it's a little bit of a shame that you're coming up against Frankfurt in the semifinal because mm. I think that would have been the, you know, preferred final. I think. Um, yeah. Although right. Rangers have, have I mean. Rangers they're, they're have been Leipzig. impressive. Leipzig yeah. are good. So. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think no matter what happens, the final for the Europa League will be very entertaining. Um, I've not found Champions League football entertaining in years. Me neither, but yeah. But the Europa League has been good, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very entertaining. And, um, and I guess a, a brief shout to the Conference League too, because I think that also got a lot of ridicule in the beginning um, when it was first implemented. But I think I think we can sort of safely say that UEFA have, have created quite a good competition here because... This competition is not for the Premier League, right? It's for other leagues and for teams in in in, in lesser leagues that that get these places and get a chance to play in Europe and get a chance to have three matches at home against other European sides and get some of that TV revenue and and uh, we we we're seeing now that you know Leicester have finally stood up and taken notice of of this Conference League competition that they're in and I like that. I think it spotlights teams that. That uh, that don't that don't get a lots of attention, um, and it's a good way to reward teams that have punched above their weight, um, you know, like Wolves or West Ham and and these kind of teams. So, yeah, um, I think I enjoy Europa League like UEFA wants people to enjoy the Champions League, and I enjoy the Conference right. League the way that UEFA wants people to enjoy the Europa League. Yeah, so, agreed. Yeah, I have not uh, also not been very interested in. Uh, yeah, so season twelve, season twelve of the Peak to Early podcast, we'll be talking about the mm. Europa Conference League too. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and whether Newcastle are nice going to get is. relegated yeah. into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. Before we change topics, do you want to give a prediction of the semifinals of the Europa League for West Ham? So it's over two legs, no? Or or is it only one leg? Yes, it is two legs. Two legs. I, I find it very, away. very, very hard to give a prediction for this. I think that Eintracht Frankfurt are famous for their three-at-the-back system where they use very powerful, very pacey fullbacks. So we've seen Kostic, who's a great player, sort of slot back into that left-wing-back role in recent years. And... um and and the fact that they overload the midfield because they play that three at the back can be a concern. 
Now, if West Ham can manage to absorb that pressure, then we are deadly. We know this, right? On the break, despite the fact that we don't actually have many players that have a lot of pace, we, we're, we're intricate. We're unstoppable on the break, right? Out of possession. We are a great side. I think that in order to weather that storm, in order to weather that physical pressure from Eintracht Frankfurt, we will need to have all of our best personnel on the pitch. So I don't think we will be able to get away with a Diop Dawson pivot at the back against Eintracht Frankfurt. I think we will need Kurt Zuma in. We'll need Aaron Cresswell to be providing that experience and and defensive ability at the back in this match. Um, we cannot have injuries to Declan Rice or Socek. Um, we we will need Antonio to be on his best form. Um, you know, it's a semi-final of a major competition. Obviously, we need everyone to be firing on all cylinders. I don't think at this level you can really make many mistakes and get away with it. Um, I really have no prediction for you because I just... It's such uncharted territory that I can't even imagine West Ham being in a final. But I will say that we have very experienced players like Declan Rice now. He knows what it is like to go deep into a tournament that matters. And that's not insignificant. Um, the sheer willpower, I think, that we have as, as a squad is saying something. And, and that's never mind talking about the, the skill we have as well. Um, you know, I think if we... It sounds very simple. If we play well, if we play to our strengths, then we have more than a fighting chance. But the biggest thing we need to do is not underestimate Antrecht Frankfurt. Um, you know, they may not be pulling up trees in the Bundesliga, but they've they've shown that they're a very, very capable side. Barcelona, I know they literally just lost to Cadiz today, but they have been rejuvenated under Xavi. Um, and, and they really destroyed them at the new Camp. So... Um, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I'm I'm a mixture of excitement and nerves right now. What's your prediction? You you can have a more objective viewpoint of this, I think, than I can. I won't give my full prediction, um, but I will predict the first leg will end one one. Um, yeah, I like yeah. I will not say my prediction for the second leg because I don't want to jinx or not jinx anything. Um, but uh. I do think it'll be a one of these Frankfurt are the better side away from home at West Ham, but you know West Ham cling on for a draw, um, just like we saw West Ham at home versus Lyon for. Um, and then on the other side, I think Rangers will pull the upset on uh, on Leipzig. Uh, even though Rangers are heavily the underdogs of all four sides to make the um, yeah. the final, um, I don't know. I, I like this Rangers squad. Um, hmm. Kimar Roof, what a player! Um, oh, it's funny because sure. he's been at times so shit um, throughout his career, but you know, hmm. right now he's uh, absolutely bossing it. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get back to the Premier League. Um, that is what the people pay us for. Indeed. Um, I got a. I mean, know, I, yeah. A handful of things to talk about. Yeah, I. I okay. I'm. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I think that the highlight for me here, um, toward coming toward the end of the pod, is is the Liverpool City match and sort of that title race in context. All right. Uh, really briefly before we talk about that mm-hmm. match. Um. 
I want to bring up once again the enigma that is Southampton. Uh, what exactly is their deal? Um, losing 6-0 to Chelsea, uh, which is yeah. something we've seen happen over and over again to Southampton. Uh, and then they turn around and beat Arsenal. Hmm. You know, not about a week later. Yeah, strange, um, isn't it? Yeah, I texted you that it's like they have a good manager, good tactics, good belief in their team, and then it's the reason they get turned over is literally just because they're not like financially backed and don't have the right quality of players um so i think it's like very reflective on their squad that they can get turned over by these super teams but you know outside of that they're you know incredibly solid um yeah and they lose a lot of close matches but they also have a lot of you know really good close matches that they win um including a you know albeit recently very struggling um, but, you know, still a good Arsenal squad. Um, and, you know, Southampton still pulls it out. Yeah. Um, quick question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. James Ward-Prowse, how much longer yes. is he staying at Southampton? I don't, I don't see him moving. I, I, I think I mentioned this before, but I, I don't think he's signed that deal with Southampton for no reason. I I don't know. As I say it, maybe I sound silly because if the likes of Liverpool come in for you, I'm, I think you have a very hard time turning that down. But I, I think he does genuinely enjoy being that big fish in a small pond. Um, I think he does enjoy the responsibility of being Southampton captain. And I, I think he is genuinely, you know, he's, a, he's been there since he was a kid and he's a fan of the club. Um, I think he, he would just be Every time they have a defeat like this, right, which is fairly often, I think that pushes that will push him more and more, you know, away or or thinking about, you know, what could be. Um, it is really frustrating that Southampton can't seem to bridge that gap. You know, they had uh, the golden years under Pochettino, and that was before War Press's time, and then you know a dip and 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 under Hasenhutl, at times it seemed it seemed like they can reclaim that that golden era but yeah as as you've said these these massive defeats are so bizarre and it it means that Southampton aren't a side that the rest of the Premier League are, are really going to respect because they're so inconsistent and they fall to such incredible losses um look I think James Ward-Prowse will stay at Southampton next season unless uh Liverpool come in for him or something, which has has been rumored. Um, I'm not sure they particularly need him, um, and 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 unless a a really stable side comes in for him, I I don't see him going. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Um, and then our final match to talk about um, on episode 23 of this season uh, is uh, top of the table, the the heavyweight, the uh, you know, the headliner match of this season, um, Manchester City-Liverpool. Uh, my first question for you, did it live up to the billing? Oh, yes, yeah, certainly. I think I think it did for me. Um, I mean, it was 
overshadowed by this weekend's game, which was the the three two um, FA Cup semi final win uh, the, for Liverpool. But this 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 match uh, the weekend prior the two two was was certainly uh, lived up to expectations. I think in in recent years we've actually had this fixture be a bit of a dead rubber. Um, because both sides have been far more cautious than they usually are, but it seems to have shifted slightly in the past couple of years, um, where both teams really go for it um, and 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 aren't cautious. Um, and yeah, I thought this was a, a really entertaining match. Um, two sides that are very evenly matched that play. Uh, maybe not opposing styles, but uh, certainly their managers have very differing philosophies and. And I think it energizes <laughs> energizes both sides. Um, I, I think for me, the interesting thing about about Liverpool and City in, in recent years is, well, I mean, what what is this game sort of? What is the the ongoing legacy of this game culturally? Um, is it the new Classico? You know, is it the Classico of the of the early twenty tens of the of the late two thousands? Perhaps. Um, and and how much does that depend on the managers that they have right now, right? Um, you know, there's no doubt that both these sides are, are very, very well run, but they also have two of the most brilliant managers that football has ever seen. And I, I, I suppose, okay, fine, let's confine it just to the modern era, um, two of the best managers of, of the modern era. And, and how much are, are their tactics and their mindsets driving these teams to these incredible clashes at the top of the table? Um, so, you know, very entertaining. Um, and, and it, it, it's, I don't know if it's good for the Premier League because I, I'm still hesitant to, to praise this kind of dominance from two teams, right? Despite the fact that Liverpool don't operate in the same financial sphere as Manchester City, it, it's still not, I don't think it's good for football that Liverpool are on for a quadruple and Man City can win you know, the double easily or, you know, can romp away to to the to the title year after year. Um, but yeah, entertaining nonetheless. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I agree. I think it was very entertaining. Um, I was, you know, left with a little, you know, wanting a bit more. Um, but, you know, that's just, because I don't really have a stake in the game. So, you know, I just want to see someone go win it. Um, yeah. Uh, talking about just this match, um, you know, I, I, it just doesn't really do anything for either side other than, oh. you know, I guess push a side on, but we won't know that until, you know, how it comes. I actually think... Man City's loss in the FA Cup to Liverpool will probably push Man City more than this draw will push either one of these teams. Um, uh, the match itself, um, you know, I thought, you know, maybe Man City was slightly better on the day. Um, but Liverpool, the attacking three that Liverpool have I mean it's uh, pretty ridiculous uh, uh, yeah. you know the best player in the world plus uh, 
in terms of goals per minute, um, one of the best players in the world. And then when Sadio Mane is your third best attacker, um, you know you have a a pretty ridiculous attacking line. Yeah. Um, this is, you know, it looked like it was going to be a critical point in the race for the title. Um, and I guess it is, but, you know, the critical turning point is that it's a straight line. Um, the, it's, you know, going to come down to the wire, I suppose. Um, and, uh, let me really quickly figure out what is city's end of the season look like? Um, all right. Way more favorable. Um, yeah, that'll be very interesting. Um, City have a much more favorable run to the end of the season than Liverpool do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of yeah. a shame. Um, it is a bit, yeah. I, yeah, I don't really want to see it pitter out. So, um, yeah, if you had to make me guess right now, I think. Yeah, it's City, right? But City are, yeah. I mean, they're clear know. favorites. You never but, know. Um, yeah, City are prone to the, you know, occasional slip up and... One more slip up that Liverpool wins, um, you know, all of a sudden it flips and, um, you know, and while on paper Liverpool have a tougher matchup, you know, they play Manchester United on the final day and that's, you know, it's not the huge matchup it once was. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, it's just, I think, this match and this title race, you know, kind of perfectly encapsulate, you know, the direction that football has been going in. Um, and, you know, over the last few years, it's much less, it's much harder to stay super invested in the title race. And, um, you know, I've always, you know, I've always found the relegation zone and the bottom half of the table much more. Mm interesting um but uh yeah do you uh do you have a call do you think man city will uh hold on or do you Uh, think yeah i'll go i'll go city for the league liverpool for the champions league yeah i agree i think it's unless man city just do you know one of those weird blips that uh Results in them dropping yeah. another game, but yeah. you know, those are like a twice a season kind of thing, and it's already right. happened twice this season, so right, um, it is kind of hard. It's also, it's I think we're gonna get a Real Madrid Liverpool Champions League final, um, which yeah. you know, it's very tragic for Villarreal, um, that they ended up drawing Liverpool. Uh, although I guess whoever they drew, it would have been a miracle for them to get past. Um, but uh, yeah, just not a lot of you know passion around the the Premier League title or the Champions League. Um, no. Not really asked if it goes one way or the other. Um, Me neither. Yeah, so far the you know. It looks like the relegation zone is 
the picture is clearing and it looks like the top two and the who really cares what the picture is. Um, the race mm. for the top four, um, that'll be interesting. And hopefully that goes down to the wire. Um, final day, West Ham at Brighton. I know. 93rd minute winner to give them fourth. Can you imagine? Uh, yeah, we'll see. You know, We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. All right, Oscar. Uh, yes. Any other matches? I got nothing for you. All right. Well, then I have one player to ask you about. Ooh, exciting. Um, this player, he is a uh, central defender, although occasionally known to be a fullback. Um, he started his career at Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, where he spent a long time uh, before a brief stint at Roma, um, a longer stint at Bayer Leverkusen, uh, where he'd make 100 appearances. Um, before joining this club, can you tell me where one Tim Yadvai is? Oh, Tim Yadvai. Um, how is... Oh, my God. No. Is he somewhere in Russia? He is. Zenit. Sorry, he Damn. is at Lokomotiv Moscow. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, that's a fall from grace. Yeah, he had the he had one of the worst haircuts for yes, years. Yes, that, that's why everyone knows him. He had and now he's fine. I think he has it pulled back in a ponytail, but he had he had a horrible haircut back in the day. Very, very much, uh, you know, 20, 20, early 2010s haircut, to be fair to him. But, uh, wow. He was definitely yeah. a wonder kid. All I can think about him is he, uh, I think he played quite heavily in that Croatia squad uh, in the 2018 World Cup. Um, yeah, he was certainly a rotation player. Yeah, I don't know what happened to this guy. Um, kind of a shame kind of a shame um yeah he moved to locomotive in 2021 and he's made mm -hmm. 16 appearances so yeah well in the first not team a, but not not a great place to be right now so yeah oh uh, yes um, um well he well. is also an aspiring rapper um that's so. the worst thing i've heard today so <laughs> um <laughs> speaking of rapping uh, that is a wrap on episode ah, 23 nice. of season two of the Peak Too Early podcast. Uh, if you liked what you hear, mm. you know, review us, tweet us, please email us, comment us. Yeah, do all uh, these things or anything else that you uh, so feel, um, you know, give Oscar a, uh, a good luck for the end of the season. Ah, um, you know, yes. I certainly hope West Ham, you know, do well in both the Europa League and the Premier League. Um, because next season, I hope Newcastle can do similar things. Uh, thank you very much for listening and take care. Bye. I'm standing. <laughs> <laughs>